Ладно. Всем привет и добро пожаловать на мой канал. Называется Newfound Liberty. Я твой любимый русский бот, Шон Бабкок. Я сегодня здесь с друзьями. Oh, did I not switch off my Russian mode there for, for a second there? Pardon me. Hi, everybody. This is Newfound Liberty. <laughs> Welcome. My name is Sean Babcock. I'm your host. And today I'm joined with a couple friends of mine for part two of uh, the free trade, um, the, the free trade um, thread, I guess you can call it, or this little mini series that we're going to do here in two parts. So today uh, we are um, we're joined by again with uh, Jessica Ashley and James Cook. So welcome back, guys. And uh, how are you all doing today? Hi. Thanks for having me on. How are you all doing today? I'm Wonderful. Great. Ready to talk about free trade. It sounds good to me, man. Okay. So um, let's see here. Well, we, we covered on the last episode some uh, a bunch of... Uh, of I have uh, a snowstorm outside. You have a snowstorm outside? <laughs> we covered on the last episode on like individual trade and... Yes. Um, and uh, let's see here, man, we covered a lot of stuff. It was a long episode. Anyway, James had suggested that we go ahead and start a part two here because he wanted to discuss international trade. Now, I am actually not very well uh, versed on, on much international trade. So, I mean, uh, J James, why don't you give us a, a rundown of, uh, of uh, the like, let's say differences in like currency. So why is trade important, especially if like there's so many different diverse currencies and uh, and like, uh, what, what, what exactly does the exchange mean and how is that exactly gauged? Yeah, I mean, so international trade is kind of just an extension of, um, so last episode we talked about person to person trade, right? Yeah. Um, and so international trade is just that across borders, right? So uh, international trade, a lot, of the, a lot of the same concepts still apply to international trade as it does on an individual local level. Um, so currencies, how they fit in currencies are, you know, for the most part, not every country issues its own currency, but most countries, most central governments within a given country or state um, prints or issues some kind of currency. Now, currency or money, you know, as a lot of people call it, is one half of every transaction. Essentially, it's supposed to be the inverse relationship to the amount of goods that exist within an economy. So an economy produces goods or has goods. And the way that we facilitate trade is we trade money as a, as a fungible exchange and holder of value, and that can cross you know, borders. Uh, now, what happens, the, the, the mechanism by which that happens is something called floating exchange rates. So most currencies, instead of being pegged to a certain, you know, they used to be pegged to, um, pegged is an economic term where you have one currency that's like, uh, you know, $1 equals five British pounds or something like that. Um, or it used to be uh, before that gold or silver, or even before that was salt, tobacco, or something like that. So it's, it would be directly tied or pegged to a commodity or another. Um, it's called a fixed exchange rate. So it's a chance of something of value. The modern economy. Yeah, for the most part, or, or in relation, a direct relation to another currency, right? Mm -hmm. So it's called a fixed exchange rate or a pegged exchange rate. Um, now, what happens in the modern economy is something called a floating exchange rate. So it actually it, it works much better than a fixed exchange rate because what it does is it allows the value of each currency or each um, uh, you know, yeah, each money to change in value as it relates to all the other currencies in the world. And so that helps prices adjust 
respective of how much goods are produced, where they're produced, where they're going, um, and also takes into account inflation without hurting the other economies. So it, it fixed a lot of the problems of the old economy. So that's the general overview of what what uh, international trade is and how currencies fit into it. Okay. Oh, that's pretty interesting. Because I was actually always a little bit curious on that, but I mean, I wasn't really strong uh, uh, minded on the on the subject or I didn't really know a lot about it. So, um, well, what, what, why is, uh, why is uh, it that libertarians believe that uh, free uh, trade is important even across open or even across borders even even into um other countries i mean you would say like maybe there are some countries that i mean they don't have the ability to i mean they can't really get everything going for them as far as like uh resources to to be completely self-sustaining i mean that could be an argument uh but why is it uh, necessary for uh free trade to occur across borders I mean, it's really the same exact argument is like, why do I want to trade with, you know, somebody else? Like, why do I go to the grocery store? Mm-hmm. Why do I go, you know, hire somebody else to, I don't know, whether it's mow your lawn or fix your car or do your taxes or whatever the thing is, we don't do everything ourselves. So um, one of the economic terms, uh, uh, autarky means self-sustaining, means, um, you know, you do everything for yourself. And that can be applied on a, an individual level, a community level, a state level, or, you know, a, a regional level. Like, so basically a lot of the arguments, I mean, I think it, I think it best illustrates free trade by going through the arguments against it, or why wouldn't somebody want to trade? Now, autarky, the argument for autarky is that we produce all of our, all of our stuff ourselves. We're self-sufficient. We're not relying on anybody else. Um, And that is a very, very common understanding in the political realm of, uh, of international trade. Almost no, there's no economists that believe that any kind of uh, anything but free trade is good. So it's really interesting. You have the political class, you know, make the argument that domestic free trade is good, but international free trade has some problems. But, you know, economists don't say that. That's not what any economist says. Like upwards of 99% of all economists don't say that. And the ones that do say that, they're usually employed by politicians. So it's kind of a really <laughs> interesting contrast. Um, so, some, some of the important things for trade is, is uh, things called comparative advantage, right? So comparative advantage means that, hey, I might be good at something that you're not good at, and you might be good at something that I'm not good at, and we trade. So I have an advantage, so I should produce more of my goods. So let's say I'm really, really good at, um, you know, making or, you know, writing books, right? I can write one book every day. And, um, you know, it takes me eight hours to write a book. And then you could, you know, make uh, a phone, right? Uh, and it takes you, you know, 16 hours to make a phone. So if we both work for a week, I produce six, you know, well, five books, you know, if it's five day work week and you've produced, you know, two and a half phones or whatever it is. So, but you know, it takes me, I don't know, 24 hours to make a phone. And it might take you two days to write a book. So it kind of goes to show that we should both do what we specialize in. And that way there'll be more goods in the economy and we'll just trade at the end of it. So that's why trade is good. And that should carry not just on the individual level, but also across borders, because when one country like um, Colombia is really good, it has a really great natural environment for growing coffee, right? Montana, the state of Montana in the U.S. does not have a good uh, uh, climate for growing coffee, mm. right? So Montana could grow coffee if they wanted, but the amount of capital that would require for Montana to actually produce enough coffee, you'd have greenhouses, you'd have um, you know climate control, you'd have to grow everything indoors, you'd have to adjust the soils, Whereas in Colombia, they just naturally produce coffee. So 
Montana should produce cattle and Columbia should produce coffee and they should trade those things. So it's just the more goods you have, the more available they are. And so the more uh, access that everyone has to those goods. Also, even even with the argument that like just because you you can produce everything that you need, even in your like region, like you were saying before, uh, I mean, uh, I think uh, something I found that was kind of interesting. I think Milton Friedman made this argument about uh, um, let's say that we do have somebody here who can do it. And like in, uh, you know, producing coffee here in the States is not as, uh, you know, as, as cost effective. So maybe it costs a little bit more. Right. So it's a little cheaper to just to get an import from Colombia where it grows, you know, just like the grass does here in Arkansas, like whether you like it to or not, you know, um, but then the cost would be cheaper to you. So then you're receiving the product that you want. You're receiving uh, just as much of the product that you want, and you're also getting it at a lower cost. Right. So the ability to, to yeah, uh, buy exactly. goods, buy goods for, um, for cheaper prices, which means that you'd have more money in your, you, you could keep more money in your pocket to uh, enrich your life or to, to put that money somewhere else in your life to make a, I guess your, uh, I guess you could say your um, standard of living to increase, you know, so that, that, so that that way we are, we are all effectively living better whenever we get types of deals like this. Right. Yeah. So that's something called opportunity costs, right? So you have comparative advantage and then the difference between the two advantages is opportunity costs. Like for example, if we both have $5, right. Um, and we want coffee Now we can either buy the $5 Montana coffee, or we can buy the $2.50 Colombian coffee and still have $2.50. So the opportunity of buying the Montana coffee is $2.50. And the opportunity cost, it's actually positive, opportunity benefit, right, of buying the Colombian coffee is $2.50, right? So I have that extra, I have coffee and $2.50, or I can just have coffee, right? So my standard of living is arguably better by buying the Colombian coffee because now I can use that $2.50 and I don't know, buy some creamer for my coffee or something like that. So not now I don't just have coffee, but I have coffee and something else. Or a cookie if I or choose a croissant to buy you just turn a beverage exactly. into breakfast. Make a whole breakfast, you know, right? You just turn it into breakfast. What's the, what's the argument against um, international, like an international free market? Like what's the argument against that? Yeah, let's There's just actually jump a couple, right into like I believe. good arguments, right? All right. So I got one. Yeah. All right. Do you want so to make some? One, I've heard that a, a good it. argument was, I mean, it's not a sound. I, mean, I know that we're libertarians here, but like this, the argument here is, uh, is about um, the types of people that we end up trading with or the types of countries that we do. Should we be allowed, even though we could get like, let's say hypothetically that uh, I mean, well, I don't want to say hypothetically or not. Look, okay, let's, let's paint this picture of like this country that we can trade with because they have the ability just like Colombia is to like grow uh, coffee, but it's like a, it's a really good resource. We can get it real cheap and like uh, we can distribute it throughout our um, our nation like quicker and at a way lower cost. But the uh, the government or the state of the region, and the people do commit like atrocious crimes. You know, they like either harm their own people or trying to enslave them or committing genocide on a religious group. And so it's like, well, we can't just trade with anybody and everybody because, I mean, there's just bad people out there that we shouldn't be, you know, contributing via free trade to uh, to enrich their economy. You know, that's that's but one that I we be able to decide if we want to trade with that person or not, like with that country or not. Well, I mean, like, as I personally we wouldn't. I do. think another person should be able to decide if they want to. Yeah, I mean, as libertarians, we do. We believe that we should have that choice. But of course, you know, when we, we get in these these. uh there That's will the be individuals who don't want to and then think that it's immoral for uh, them, uh, uh, fellow countrymen of theirs, 
like you know to partake in trade with people who do atrocious things or it, even sometimes it's just in their eyes atrocious things you know it's like you can have an argument against like the red light district in amsterdam because and so we shouldn't do that with them because it goes against somebody's religious beliefs but i mean like that's 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 been an argument i've heard before is that we don't like what somebody else or in some other country is doing so we therefore shouldn't have this free trade there should be either no trade or some kind of backlash because of the because of what is happening right that's an argument still here too like with the my pillow person like people want to completely bankrupt the my pillow company because he's a trump supporter and i mean i think the pillows are shitty but i don't think he should be put out of business because of it like people still want to buy his shitty pillows buy the pillows I got to be dissing on my pillow. Yeah, and honestly, like, <laughs> <laughs> so Sean, actually, in my in my opinion, and I'm, I'm not the end all be all, but I think that is probably the best argument against free trade. Oh shit! I came right out right? the gates with the better ones. No, seriously, because all the other yeah. ones, all the other ones are just not really based in any kind of economic reality, right? This one has a moral component which is which can be valid like it's hard to pinpoint you can you can say you know china and the Uyghurs, right like that's a pretty common one that's a pretty common argument for this we don't know exactly what's going on with the Uyghurs. we don't we don't know for sure right so you can make the argument well if you ask biden it's just cultural differences exactly yeah exactly so that's what i mean who you ask you know (laughs) yeah screw screw him for saying i don't know what other countries do behind closed doors we get i mean yeah, so I mean, according to the Chinese government, which I don't trust the government. I don't trust governments, whether or not it's ours or somebody else's either. So, like, <laughs> yeah, and it's hard to really see what's going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can't trust anything coming out of there. So, it's difficult to actually make a decisive opinion. But what we can do is talk about philosophy or what, what should we do, right? So, the argument could be, and, and Jessica, that was actually a really good point with, you know, we do this in the economy every day. Mm-hmm. in the domestic economy if we if we want to support somebody's product like we like their product and we, and we want to buy it or if we find somebody that is doing something bad um we don't want to support and you know in our opinions like say somebody i don't know chris brown beat rihanna right so then did people stop buying his music for a little bit they did right so there was a backlash there so people in the market have to, and there you go a lot of other people just forgot about it real quick so <laughs> Um, but like, this is the stuff we do every day. We already have backlashes against companies that have, you know, bad public images or they're doing something that we don't agree with. And so the power to make those decisions is actually really important. We should be able to, you know, that's the moral argument there. Well, but I mean, there's the other argument to where, um, you know, no, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Finish. <laughs> Pardon me. The moral argument. <laughs> Yeah, I was, I was just, I was just saying. So then, there's the, there's the next thing where a lot of people want, you know, the government to kind of tell us who's okay to trade with and who's not okay to trade with, and that's kind of where the argument sets right now. Is if the government deems that this country is doing something bad, or there's companies within the country that's doing something bad, they should prohibit the trade for us and not kind of allow even, um, you know, people that either don't know about the bad things that are going on or people that don't care to go ahead and trade with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of a valid position from the status position like that is a valid argument you can say hey this the state should prevent us from funding you know atrocities here's and and you know there's not a black and white answer to this question specifically and again that's why i think it's the best argument against free trade but here's what here's my argument to say here 
let's not forget about the consequences of the individual people. Like we don't want to trade. We know that trade benefits both people that are trading, right? So mm -hmm. the argument is we're benefiting and they are benefiting, but they may be doing some bad stuff. We don't know for sure, but let's assume they're doing some bad stuff. The bad stuff is usually being done by the, by the state, by the government, um, who, who does suffer from barriers to trade is not necessarily the state. Barriers to trade actually hurt the, the citizenry more than they do the state. And sometimes barriers to trade by other governments and external governments actually bolster the strength of the state. And then you almost perpetuate more of those bad things that the state is doing. We see that in Iran. We see that in some of the countries in the Middle East, uh, uh, where Saudi Arabia, right? So when you have barriers to trade and you have um, embargoes and things like that, all that does is the citizenry rallies against the government, rallies for the government, to the government, bolsters the strength of the government, and therefore any of the atrocities that the government is currently committing, um, it doesn't get resolved because they're fighting this outside force because they're mm -hmm. restricting bar there's barriers to trade. So even though the argument is we don't want to trade with, say, China, right, because of the Uyghurs, okay, we don't want to support that because, it, you know, when we trade with them, it makes them better off and it makes us better off, but we don't want to support that kind of thing. Guess who's going to suffer? It's going to be the Uyghurs and it's going to be the other poor people in China. And it's not going to be the state. So if you want to hurt the state, that's not the way to do it. So that would be my argument against that moral argument. But again, I think it's probably the best argument against trading with somebody. If you can for sure point to like a business that's sex trafficking, right? Or, you know, selling kids or like, you know, murdering people. Wood chip. That's a great. Exactly. Right. You know, we don't want to support that. We don't want to support that. So, but that's actually an awesome argument, by the way, and I'm glad you brought it up because it's an important one to think of. But again, my point is, let's not forget about the people who are actually hurting. Our targets, the state, the, the bad, the bad government people. It's not the individual people that are right. the ones that are really going to suffer from a trade barrier. Right. The people actually committing the crimes. Like we don't want to hurt the citizens who, uh, like, I mean, we we just openly admitted that there are people out there that, that potentially in even our own spaces that will trade with people not knowing of the atrocities and not knowing of the of the stuff like that. But they're also not committing atrocities. They're just trying to make their life a little bit better. You know, they're just trying to to make uh, to bring up their standard of living. Yeah. Uh, they they don't deserve to be hurt from that because I mean, in one of my first episodes. Um, uh, I had with my uh, my wife and my cousin, we talked about the the state and representation of us, right? Because I, the idea that, that the government is a direct representation of you because of the way that they, you know, they spin it off as like, well, we all had the vote, but the vote ended up like this guy got an this office so and started doing these different, uh, you know, different things, but that doesn't necessarily represent me, you know? And so like, we shouldn't look at, at, at every individual citizen in every country as the direct representation of their government because that, so it should apply across the board, even though we hear about these countries doing these atrocious crimes right and uh yeah and uh yeah that's a great point. uh the no, other ahead, thing sorry. i wanted to make is that like a good a good example on uh, a market front let's let's talk about um whenever uh free like the ability to to buy a certain thing and it's not like directly um like we worry about what what maybe a company does right so the there was a there was a controversial thing that happened a long while back uh, with Starbucks where a, uh, um, a black gentleman and his friend went in there to sit and wait for somebody. And then the employee told them that they couldn't use the bathroom. And then mm -hmm. somebody else had come in after uh, after him who was white, that they had just pointed the direction of the bathroom and then the person went to the restroom. Right. So then what ended up happening with the company that was super worried about backlash happening from maybe Starbucks potentially being 
you know, racist is that the company had to to try and do all this stuff publicly and explicitly say that, they, you know, that they don't condone this. And they even went as far as to do nationwide, like shutting down of all Racial Starbucks and making training? people go through this training because of the potential backlash that would happen from the actions of even just like an individual in one Starbucks at one time. Right. So, I mean, there might be something to say about what could potentially happen to hold people accountable in a free market. Now, like we had also just touched and like, there's some people who just don't care. Right. And they're going to buy it anyway. And I mean, even you saying that like the atrocious crimes being committed, that you don't want to support nothing like that. And I mean, it doesn't, I, I thought you made a really, really good point, James, is that it doesn't necessarily really resolve the problem at all. If anything, like you get the reverse effect from it of, of, of feeling the, the, the potential crimes that a state that could uh, commit that its citizens don't necessarily feel represented by. Yeah. So it's really important when you're making like even the boycott arguments, especially internationally, that you don't assume that that's actually going to solve the problem i'm going to give one quick example of when of of when boycotts actually do a lot more damage than is anticipated so in the mid-1990s um the the u.s consumer became much became very aware of like sweatshops and child labor in third world countries we started to get a lot of um like textiles and like really you know cheap stuff that we didn't really feel like making you know, ourselves. And again, that goes to comparative advantage. If they have a lot of labor, but not a lot of machinery, and we have a lot of machinery and not as much labor, we focus on higher order goods, which are like the expensive stuff or the labor, the uh, capital intensive goods. And then we can kind of let other people that have, you know, high labor and low capital goods make the cheap stuff that we don't really want. So we started to buy a lot of our cheap stuff that we didn't feel like making. Um, from third world countries. And so these third world countries, which are developing countries, they had very, very little um, economic power, they had very little industrialization. Um, they were also very poor. They lived on less than a dollar a day. They started going through the industrial revolution that the U.S. went through over 100 years prior. So they started to look like the U.S. looked, you know, in the early 1900s and late 1800s. Now, what this looks like includes what we in the first world consider sweatshops and child labor. And so the sentiments of the Western consumer was very, very upset. So there was very, very large scale, um, uh, you know, uh, boycotts of certain companies that use, for example, child labor. Now, one of the main focuses in the mid 1990s was Bangladesh, who had anywhere from 50 to 100,000 children working in factories. And so what we did was organize these huge boycotts. We stopped buying all products from these specific factories until they fired all the kids. Because we're like, look, if these kids, it's sad, they're working these, in these horrible conditions, they're working in factories, they should be going to school, they should be playing out in the fields and having a great time, right? That's the idea. Let's get them out of the factories and let them go be kids. When, so became very successful. All the children were fired. You had over 100,000 children. Went, oh, the you know, children were fired. They, they were all fired. And then we started buying the products again. We, we forgot about it. UNICEF and, the, and uh, the World Bank went in after that to assess what happened to the Bangladeshi children after that. Over 80% of those 100,000 children, three things happened to them. One, they either became child prostitutes. Two, they either were sold, they, they were sold into um, uh, sex trafficking, child you know, trafficking across Asia, and they lost track of them, or they starved to death. So really, yes. what did you accomplish there? You were trying to solve this problem that you were morally upset about. And you ended up just hurting the people that you were trying to help. 
So again, it's really important to understand the economic consequences of things like boycotts, of, especially when you're dealing with third, third world countries. Even if I mean, what you think sad. is really bad, it's a sad story, but that's, that's a what, terrible you, know, story. you have to grab people's attention and make them understand that you can't just stand on your Western moral principles and say, this is what I think, I'm going to force these principles on you. Because um, you don't know, you don't understand exactly the, the struggles that third world people deal with on a daily basis. Like, like all the elements, So I'm not saying right? it was right. I'm not saying it's right to hire children. Yeah. So it's like, it's just important to understand both sides of the story. I'm not saying boycotts are bad. And I'm not saying that we should be trading with bad people. I'm just saying it's not altogether that simple a lot of times. It was funny at first because you said all the children were fired. And I don't think I've ever heard that <laughs> sentence. And I then did. it got really, really dark. And I, I was like, oh, no. Went from I think, funny I think to dark. It's, it's interesting. You know, yeah, really fast. I'm to throw out a Doctor Who thing, but I sometimes I feel like when it comes to the dressing economics, I feel like it's just this big old ball of wobbly, wibbly, like, moving things that, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like that's kind of the analogy whenever I think of economics. Now, um, so, like, I mean, I've been dabbling in a, in a like more economics culture. book. But uh, there are repercussions from, like involve, the from involvement in the market, you know, and uh, and we don't realize the repercussions that ca that could come from certain things when we do them. So that's an example of like, you know, you might have your own moral, uh, you know, standpoint to where how, how you want to do the things. And as libertarians, like, I mean, that's fine. You can have that. You yourself individually can decide not to buy those products or do those things. Right. But when you're you when you use forces like government to intervene, like I mean, for one, it instantly when we decided that like whatever at what point uh, it, it, we had supposed free complete free trade across the board, right? When we when government decided that it was important and imperative for them to get involved, and then you don't realize like the dominoes that start to drop. So like you're addressing uh, when it, when pe most people talk about economics, they start addressing like one problematic issue and it's like well we're just going to step in to do this so that we fix this certain aspect of that and then you don't realize that now you're affecting just about everything that's involved with this economy and then you don't realize that the, that they're all linked somehow and so then then another problem occurs because you stepped in because you did something about it or because you you made a ban or you stopped or you didn't allow the free trade to happen and then then now a new problem arises and so of course you know entities like the government are like well now we need to step in and fix this issue as well and and i mean we have a lot of evidence that 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 supports the fact that it just it's not actually helpful at all and a situation like that is just absolutely I don't know. That's terrible, man. That, that, that affects me to the core. Like those poor children. And like, I mean, you think you're doing the right thing. You're like, they shouldn't be there. And it's just like, well, think about where they are, like what everything that, that factors into the fact that they happen to be working. And like, what does that mean? What, what will actually happen just if you just stop them working? That's a one issue. You don't want them to work. So you tell them that they got to stop. And so they stop it, but you didn't think about like, well, why is it imperative that they do work? Why is it an important thing that maybe they, they, they work to survive and live and, and things uh, so that things don't get worse for them. And you don't look at it as a, as like the whole picture and that's why it's this big ball of like wibbly wobbly, like all this stuff that, and these factors and things that are going on that we just, that I think the, especially the common person, um, like, you know, even with a, like just a political view of, of economics, like just don't, don't get, and it's, and it's difficult to have that standpoint unless you like really start to dive in and understand like what economics is. I think that's kind of um, important to realize.
Yeah, absolutely. And so just just so people don't if you're not familiar with economics, like what economics is, economics is technically a value free uh, study. It's a value free subject, as in it doesn't pretend to have morals or objectives. It just says, hey, if you do this thing, this will happen. Mm -hmm. And so the more correlations and corollary effects that you understand, um, the better you are able to make your moral judgments. Like the people who, who, you know, tried to boycott and shut down trade with Bangladesh obviously didn't understand economics because that's a very predictable outcome of those things. But they made a moral judgment from a value free principle, economics, which just tries to get you know, resources from the desired end. And um, yeah, every time you, every time you do that without understanding the corollary effects, you, you open up a whole can of worms. Like you said, you, you, you need to understand what is going to, you know, what those actions are. Are going to do to the people that they're directed at my dog heard your dog's bark and now he's looking at the computer like did i start a chain reaction yeah i he mean it, it, it rained here a he bit so my dog's already on edge nina has very bad like thunder anxiety so yeah my dog's for her. too <laughs> i gave my her some melatonin bark. to calm her down but <laughs> sometimes it doesn't always work <laughs> yeah so my apologies on that no, you're good. I mean, you know, that just makes it more real. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah I've got my dog back here. Couch, <laughs> I do have one on the couch. <laughs> and before the show even started, he started licking his private areas. And I was like, really, dude? Like, <laughs> right in my camera view, I got to start hey, adjusting. let things. him do what he wants. It's his body. Yeah, but this is my podcast. So to be fair, <laughs> and my house. <laughs> you know, I hate when my dog does it too. I'm like, gross, bro. Go away. Right. right. I don't know. I love that. That argument. It's like, come on, man. You know that if you could do it, you would. <laughs> that's what that look is yeah but we can't so well, we can't so we then can't. we're bitter and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna give them yeah, we're really just jealous of the whole thing <laughs> right that's all it is <laughs> hmm. exactly um so you want to talk about the next you know topic like the next argument against free trade yeah yes okay the next one right this is a classic there's a lot of ones that have like grown up over the years and then have been demolished and don't actually exist anymore just because they're so bad. But there's a couple that still hang on. One of them is called the infant industry. Um, so the infant industry is basically the argument that one country, um, or, you know, basically there's a world economy, right? Let's say it's cars, right? Mm -hmm. Let's pretend the U.S. doesn't have an auto manufacturer. And, you know, you got Germany, you got Japan, you got China, you got India, all these, you know, companies, or, you know, all these countries have companies within them that are making cars. Right. And so, the U.S. wants to have an auto manufacturer, right? Because they just decide they want to. So how do you compete with these global uh, companies? Well, you protect, you know, your infant industry until it grows up and can fend for itself. So what you do is you either funnel money to it or you raise tariffs or you put quotas or something out there to prevent foreign competition. So that way you can build up your domestic base. And that way, you know, your auto manufacturer can start to get better and improve and get their processes down, bring costs down. And so eventually, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, they'll be able to hold their hold their own in the international market. And that way you've established a good, solid, you know, company within within your country. And then that provides good jobs. Because like how are you how are you going to provide good jobs to people in your country if they don't have any good industries? Like, are we just going to make textiles for the rest of our lives? Um, you know, no. Like that so the argument is hey, how do we get from the third world pre-industrial to the post-industrial? 
by making things that the world economy wants, higher order goods, machinery, cars, big stuff like tech. How do we yeah. get there? Well, we, we have to protect our industries until they grow up and defend, defend themselves. That sounds pretty logical, that, right? To, to, to get your skin in the game, right? So that exactly. way you, you can actually become a part, of the, a part of the market for this particular product. Yeah, because the, because it's a valid economic concept to say um, economies of scale, which means are you big enough to support demand from different economic sectors at a, at a profitable cost, like, you know, at a, at a com, you know, comparable cost? Yeah. Like if, if Toyota is selling a, a, a car for like $15,000, but it costs the U.S. $30,000 to make the same car just because we we're, we're new at it. Right. And this is pretending that we don't have this established history of Ford and GM and all this. But let's pretend it makes us it, it costs us twice as much and we still can't produce as many because Japan's cranking them out. They got like automation. They got these assembly lines. They've perfected the art. We can't compete with them. They're a well right? So how machine. do we compete with them? Exactly. So they're just cranking them out. They've been doing this forever. And so what do we do? Well, if we slap a tariff of fifteen thousand dollars on their fifteen thousand dollar car and ours costs thirty thousand dollars. Now it's an even playing field. Now it'll be like 50-50. And then that'll give us a chance to really refine how we do it, get our scale up, open up some more factories, you know, get some established brand recognition and things out there. And then eventually we'll be able to compete with Japan in the open market as we bring our costs down or Japan's costs go up because they aren't selling as many cars. Like that's that's the core argument. And that's a very popular argument is the infant industry. And so um, interestingly enough, that's uh, um, how Tesla got over $4 billion dollars from the U.S. government over the last uh, decade and a half. Um, they've gotten a total of about $4 billion in subsidies. Is the infant industry want to be a leader in electric vehicle production in the world? Right. Um, and so that's what we've been doing. And and got, you get, get a lot of support of too, that that moral argument, right? Where people are worried about the environment, so they want to they switch to, to the, I mean, that's a whole nother argument. But I mean, they, they, they believe that this is the way to go, so they support the, the, uh, the funding for... For this and that, that uh, you know, that uh, market restriction for outside, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, competitors who are potentially doing it better already, just so that, that we can build it, right? Absolutely. But I mean, that yeah, I, 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 that, Tesla that is a definitely a common a uh, argument. That Tesla has a whoopee cushion. Has a whoopee Tesla cushion. Has a what? Tesla has a whoopee cushion. If you go to like the main screen on the Tesla. There's a little button and it's a whoopee cushion and you can decide whatever seat it goes on. And then once someone gets in your car and they sit on it, it will sound like they farted. So your car has a permanent prank yes. installed into it? Is, it? is that what I'm hearing? like the best thing. It, the, your car has a permanent oh, prank installed into it. They also have like a, a dog setting. So they have a whoopee cushion and then they also have a dog setting so if you go into the store and you leave your dog in the car it will like make sure that the car is the right temperature and then it also says on the big ass screen um my parents went inside i'm fine please don't break the windows wow <laughs> that's pretty cool that that's quite really a cool. that's an interesting but hey that's what it's quite the idea 21 too so we better get something cool from it I'm like he got all that money <laughs> in yeah, order to make this shit happen. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's good that we paid yeah. for a whoopee cushion in a car I could never afford. Four billion, that fully billion dollar uh, whoopee cushion. So I'm pretty happy with that. We, we get to investment. watch. We get to watch a lot of other people so, drive okay, so them nowadays. So here's the argument against them, the so. infant industry. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, they're pretty cool to drive. I know, I know a couple of people that actually have them, and they're pretty cool cars. I, I kind of like them. I mean, they're very expensive. But I like them a lot. I just cannot justify spending that much on a car. Can't, can't do it. I mean, who's, who's, but I'm not a car. How many other people have skin in the game when it comes to electronic cars right now? Right? Isn't it competition market? And right now they're they're competing with cheaper cars that burn off uh, the fossil fuels. Right? So I mean, most of most commoners. I'll, I'll include myself in the commoner, you know, I, uh, I work a hell of a lot more than 40 hours a week to make sure that I can live in a shoebox. So like, I ain't going to be able to afford <laughs> a fucking Tesla. <laughs> There's no cheaper version right now. Yeah, I can't get, a gr- I can't get, item. where can I get a great value Tesla? Like I need to fucking know where I can get a great value Tesla. <laughs> well, so I can India have a makes a very, very cheap EV. So does China. So, I mean, like, and those are the things that we restrict. We don't allow Tata Motors, which is the Indian company that makes EVs. Um, and we don't allow Neo Motors, which is the Chinese company that makes very cheap EVs. They would be, they're cheaper than our cheapest gas model. See? But we restrict. Do they have whoopee cushions? But we restrict they don't, them to I think build that's, up that's our That's the own? extra $35,000 that we. It's a yeah. missed market, man. Start putting whoopee cushions one, in your car. It's, it's one great. fucking expensive whoopee cushion. Great. Jesus Christ. I mean, I will just like. I would there you go. All right, all it was time. you. There, I don't need a fucking whoopee cushion in my car <laughs> to pay thirty five thousand fucking dollars for. We're gonna do that. <laughs> just like hold your hand out. That'll be thirty five grand. Thank you. <laughs> That'll be thirty five thousand dollars. You're sit, welcome. I will sit You're in welcome. This is, this is. I will this sit is, in someone's <laughs> car and be the whoopee cushion for that much. <laughs> this is this is gold entertainment. <laughs> it's like who's that? Right. That's Jeff. Exactly. What's he here for? Great. Jeff's like. You did it. <laughs> it's like, see, these my exactly. because I can't afford nice. a Tesla. He's my whoopee cushion. <laughs> We're creating jobs. We're creating jobs here. Okay. That's it. Oh my gosh. Market will provide. <laughs> that's they so provide good. us with whoopee cushions. Oh lord, that is that's just nuts. That's what that's what the market so, demanded. So like, my ability to be able to. Let's say, like, we'll go back to that moral argument. You want the environment to be better. So you want everybody to be driving electronic cars, but you literally made it impossible for people like me to purchase one because you put restrictions on on the ability to purchase cars from foreign countries in an attempt to build up the uh, domestic uh, market, right? So when that that's the case. Not even the domestic market, the domestic producer. Right. And that's the thing. And that's the common theme when you put when you have barriers to trade when you prevent two con- consenting parties from trading goods that benefit each other. Whenever you prevent that, somebody loses. Okay, so competition um, in order to support a small producer, relatively like Tesla employs a lot of people, but the amount of money that we would all have to pay to buy Teslas hurts us. So the, the cost to employ those people um, through protection, the only reason they have jobs is because they're protected in this industry. We all bear the cost of that by paying higher prices. The environment also bears the cost because not all of us are, are driving te- you know, driving electric vehicles. And we could be, um, you know, if we stopped getting in the way of trade, you know, and there's, there's other arguments about mining and strip mining, all that other stuff. We're going to, we're going to pretend that EVs are great for the environment. 
Okay. That's what I was going on earlier. Like I was like, I know um, there's, there's a whole nother argument behind this right now. Like, especially, but, but there's, there's so many people out there that believe that, that it is. So let's just keep with that premise that let's say that it is right. But yeah, you can see, you can see the one points that you can make the argument, the core argument where, you know, squabbling about what's worse for the environment, CO2 or strip mining you're not going to get too far with people that have a preconceived notion about one or the other. Like you're not going to win that argument. Mm-hmm. We are going to win, or at least shed a, shed a little bit of light on it's the economic concepts behind, Hey, if your goal is both to provide low cost transportation and to protect the environment through EVs, protectionism is not going to do that. All it does is prop up one specific industry and distribute the cost to the consumer uh, at the expense of everyone else. Right. So and, and here, here's an interesting example of this. So remember Trump's trade tariffs, which are still in place, by the way, 25 percent on steel, 10 percent on aluminum. Each steel worker job, OK, that is saved or created by those tariffs cost. The distributed cost per job is nine hundred thousand dollars to the American consumer. Every single job. I don't know any iron workers that are making nine hundred thousand dollars. But essentially what we're doing is we're taking a little bit of money from every single American that buys anything that's made out of steel and then putting it into a pot worth $900,000 and then paying some steel worker $30,000 or $40,000 a year out of that. Where does all that other money go? It just goes to protect and support that specific job and makes the rest of us pay for it. If that's not socialism, I don't know what it is. It goes to the people who (laughs) who are employed by the state in order to to make all these rules and restrictions to give their job relevancy. That's where it fucking goes. (laughs) Maybe it doesn't, I don't know. I'm just like, what does it matter at this point? That's just absolutely, it just doesn't. completely free market. So basically a completely free market domestic and international not just saying that because i'm a libertarian but because not only does it give people who do not want to buy certain things from certain people or certain countries the ability to now decide not to do that it gives people who do want to buy those things from those people the ability to do that so i don't understand why people are like nope free markets are bad okay just admit you want to control what everyone else spends their money on and keep going yeah, I think that's, that's really what it comes down to is because is, yeah, a common misconception about free markets when they hear them, right? Like people who say that free markets is just, that's just a terrible idea of all the 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 harms that could come from it. And it's like, well, um there like I'd said before freedom is not uh safe, you know. Uh but look at the results for when we do intervene. And we may have, even when governments have the best intentions of intervening and these arguments are presented, look at the result of it. Like, I mean, look at all the, all the information we're, we're like that James is, is presenting with us now is, is just like, you can't say that it's better. Right. Like, and so I think the, I think people don't really understand what a real free market is. Um, when they when they uh when they when they're completely against it you know you know and a lot the free of market them... is really bad for socialists because then they can't they can't control other people's money that's, i mean that's what it comes down to it's it's concentrated so the economic concept here is concentrated interest versus 
dispersed interest. So the dispersed interest is, you know, it costs me an, an average of, uh, what is it? Um, so it costs the average American family an additional $1,277 to pay for something like Trump's tariffs, right? But the steel industry gets an additional $900,000 per job that they save. And that goes to lobbyists, that goes to politicians, that goes to the steel industry, like, you know, uh, the corporations that are making the steel, the companies. So they have a very, very concentrated interest in continuing those tariffs, right? And so that's that's what we see is I'm not going to hire a lobbyist for 1200 bucks. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're but paying for guess it. guess who is going to hire a lobbyist for millions and hundreds of millions of dollars? Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be the, the vested interest, the concentrated interest. That's why those things still exist. And that's why you have politicians that push tariffs and push protectionism. And, um, and no actual independent economists push that stuff because independent economists know for a fact that it hurts the diverse interest and only helps the concentrated interest. And so you just have this every time you introduce politics where there's a concentrated interest, a concentrated power that can benefit some for the, you know, at the expense of the many. You're going to have, whether it be communism, socialism, or protectionism, it's all the same. I'm going to read a quote because this is fascinating. So Frederick Bastiat, one of my favorite economists, favorite legal thinkers, um, he said in uh, his, his treatise, The Law, he said, it's to be pointed out that protectionism, socialism, and communism are the same plant in three different stages of growth. It can be said that it's legal plunder more visible in communism because it's complete plunder and complete plunder. And in protectionism, because the plunder is limited to specific groups and industries. Thus, it follows that the three systems, socialism, is the vaguest and most indecisive. So basically, protectionism, communism, socialism are all based in the same economic fallacies, the same economic principles of dispersed costs and concentrated interests. And I think that's important because you have a lot of conservatives that make the argument for protectionism because they see the steel industry, they're great, they love the steel industry, the auto manufacturing industry. But it's really just socialism in disguise. And it's important to understand. It is too. So they, that's is that socialist. argument about. I got it. I got it. I knew it, but I got it now. It's been confirmed. Yeah, now you know. Everybody's even the conservatives are. Yeah, even though, even that that's an argument that a lot of conservatives have that they're like, well, we should be able to 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 be, at least be to the point of self-sustaining, and then after that, we don't need to, you know, uh, and then after that, we'll talk about like trade with other countries or whatnot. Like, that's the whole belief of autarky. That's that concept we talked about at the beginning of the show. And the easiest way to dispel that myth is like, do you do everything yourself? Like in your own house, you could, yeah. you could, you know, you know, mow your own grass, which I do. You could mow your own grass, fix your own car, um, build your, you know, grow your own food, build your own, you know, pots and pans, cut your own firewood. But when you have time to like, you know, go to work, right? And that goes to specialization and comparative advantage. I'm going to go do this thing that I'm really good at that can make the most money and contribute the most value at, at and then I'm going to pay other people that also do the same thing that specialize in these industries that I need. Right. We wouldn't have the level of wealth if we were all autocratic. Right. right. So if I'm I say, did everything myself, I'm going to say here too, that that, uh, that goes completely against the ability to develop technology. Cause you you're used to Absolutely. these types of, of things have because time. that's just what you have to do. So you don't have time to, to, to even come up with an idea in order to make something a little bit quicker. Maybe you're, you're pushing just that, that, that non-gas powered like little cutter to cut that grass, right? Well, somebody eventually was like, we'll put a fucking motor on it. 
All right. And then you'll have that shit done in 20 minutes. Like, you know, you're, you're not going to be spending an hour there, like, or having to either sharpen the blades and then push that, that stuff through. But most of the time that comes through using markets in order to figure out the technology and the, and the growth from that. And like, it's okay. So I think I was, uh, I can't remember the name of the book. They will be proud of me for this James, but I think it was called a uh, controlled chaos. All right. So the point was made about uh, the, something that happened in the Soviet union. Uh, once it was uh, once it, it came about is that like the, the with the, with the absence of like an actual market and to figure out like things to develop you know with the the ussr um they literally had uh a group of people who were coming up with things that they were supposed to be manufacturing for the union and what most of the time they ended up using was a a sears catalog like they were using a Sears catalog that like the U S was, was putting out products that were like, they were, de- they, they were developing because they didn't have any direction to go. So that complete control uh, of the economy and just like, you know, that, that we're going to, we're going to provide it for you. We're going to do it all for you or whatnot like that. Like they did, they didn't really have an idea of where they wanted to go or what they needed to buy. So like, I mean, in Cuba, what's like the most modern car, right? It's like a nine, uh, 1959, uh, like, a, a, I mean, they didn't exactly like start developing more like uh, modern age cars that we now have with fucking whoopee cushions in it. Now, did they like, I mean, <laughs> we didn't really get fucking far with that. So, I mean, that, I mean, I mean, that's a, pr- that's, that's some pretty good evidence uh, against uh, um, trying to intervene or control or completely control an economy for a region, a state, or hell, even the world, I would say. I mean, it would stagnate. You don't develop technologies, or it becomes at least really difficult to. Um, and uh, and the, the reason for this is that, like, whenever you have those controlled situations and then, like, the, the state is putting its... It's a uh, it's effort on somebody to be like, we want you to come up with an idea of something that's going to be better. Right. And if the idea pays off, great. But you get like a slap, you know, you get like a high five, you know, like the guy who developed the crane, like the guy who developed the crane. Uh, he was living under like a, a socialist economy. And so they what they ended up doing is they had like a, a, a town meeting and they gave him a book. You know, but he didn't like it, his life wasn't any more rich, like after developing it than than before which is like okay well whatever you did it for everybody else so that we all have this technology now right but i mean more times out of not whatever things do go bad it all falls down on you if they gave you the ability to try to develop something and i don't know if you know a lot about the history of the soviet union but sometimes when they end up spending money on something that that goes sour uh people don't just get slaps on the wrist just gonna say i mean that would be the case for them i mean let's say maybe a, a different uh a socialist economy might be a little bit something different that that, that people want to see in the future but i'm just saying is that like we we uh we have evidence that it's difficult uh, for technology to grow and for us to find like more uh efficient and cheaper ways to grow our standard of living if we don't if we don't let the free market do what it's supposed to do Speaking of Sears, did you guys Sears know catalog. that <laughs> I couldn't believe that. Speaking Sears of the Sears catalog, catalog <laughs> a long fucking time ago, I can't remember the like exact years, but a long fucking time ago, they used to have this this part of their catalog to where they were different house blueprints, and you could order the blueprint, and then they would send you the blueprint, all of the instructions, and all of the building supplies, and you could literally build your own house. 
Oh, a do it yourself. And that was like the best thing I'd ever heard of. But they don't do that anymore <laughs> for some reason. That is very cool. I like that. Yeah, it was great. They were like small little shotgun houses. Right. I mean, I live in a box. So if you can send me plans to create a bigger, (laughs) a bigger, (laughs) bigger house, so maybe I don't feel like I'm living in such a box, I will purchase said box. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Call up Sears. Like, hey, so I was looking at your catalog. The Soviets Soviets highly recommended you. Just FYI, the Soviets highly recommended you. So I figured I'd hit you up. They loved it. (laughs) They loved it. (laughs) The Soviets used the Sears catalog for innovation, uh, inspiration, and also prices because they didn't have a price mechanism because they didn't have a market economy. So they didn't really know how to accurately, uh, you know, allocate resources or what to sell them for. So they use that for a price level as well, which I thought was pretty crazy. So I, quick th- question. I think so. It's a little blind, isn't it? Like if, if like you're literally having to use a country who's who's not subscribed to, to all this in order to figure out how you're going to, I mean, and the end game was everybody end up being under this, like this, the thing that they're now having trouble being able to dictate. Then what happens when we're all blind and question, we all don't Sean. know how to price things and we all don't know like what the hell happens then? And I'd be honest, I really don't want to see that shit. So, so that, that's you know just me. That's just all me. about Russia, Sean. I don't know all um, about Russia. Don't put that on me. I may or may not be a Russian bot and not really organic material, but I can't excuse deny me, or sir. You that. open the podcast by speaking <laughs> Russian. I figured that would throw you off. I pitched that to my wife earlier. I was like, "Do you think that would be funny?" And she's like, "That would be fucking hilarious." <laughs> so I have a question though. So did Russia kind of go to shit? After they decided to assassinate the Romanovs, did Russia go to shit? I mean, are yeah. you talking about the 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 revolution? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about like the Russian Revolution was a whole lot of uh, dis- destruction of their own country to take it over. You know, um, I'd say that that like, okay. It, um, idealistically even like when you look at the history of the soviet union is that like they it's not like they completely prescribed to like marx's formula right because technically they were supposed to be in peak capitalism or you're supposed to be in peak capitalism before you make the conversion over into into socialism and communism like you're so you're you're supposed to be there right but they they weren't in the greatest position and the people were tired of like you know uh the the poverty and the issues they've been through and i don't know if you know much about russian history dude but those those poor bastards have been drugged through God awful situations. Historically, you can go real far back through even like the Romanov dynasty. You can go even further back. Just the crap that those people have gone through is just atrocious. So, I mean, at the point that the revolution interest me. The, so my at, knowledge of Russia stops after the Romanovs because that was when the monarchy stopped. And that's kind of where my, my interest was lost. Okay, well, I mean, when the, the so the Romanovs no longer wanted to, to have com- like they didn't have uh, complete control over the actual country. Um, they uh, they had it, it, they basically had created a government and there was an oligarchy. Um, and the, the I mean, they even Nicholas II gave complete control over to this government to kind of prove that he didn't uh, want to be the dictator of everything. And they still fucking he killed wanted, him. Like, a they still fucking right? killed him because uh, when the Ruff- Russian Revolution happened, they wanted no means at all kids. for anybody to be able to come in and to uh, 
uh, challenge the, the the communist narrative that like Lenin and Trotsky and and Stalin and all these people were 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 were, were you know were were pushing for. And I mean, a lot of the it was it was funny because even at the time, like there were different forms of the like this type of collectivism, this communism that that like not everybody subscribed to the same one, right? So then that's why you have terms like imagine Leninists, that communist Leninist, Stalinist, uh, Trotskyists. Like I mean, they all. They all kind of had a, a little bit different of ideas of like um, how this should go down. But I mean, they would. You're 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 putting a government in control of this entire what's supposed to be now the collective. Right. And somebody's got to got to steer the ship. Right. Because like these all these people are on board now. But I mean, I don't I, I, I think that like I think it's it's it ended up becoming a lot different than than people had imagined. Because I mean, Lenin had ended up dying and Stalin had took it over. And I mm-hmm. think that Lenin had a very different image of what was going to go down than Stalin did. And then we all know exactly what Stalin ended up doing. And to be honest, that's probably one of the worst forms ever. But I mean, there's an actual show on Netflix I think you should watch. I watched it's- it. Trotsky? I watched everything on the Romanovs no, that no, I no, can no. find. This isn't a documentary. This is kind of like a uh, a little bit of an eye. I mean, it's not exactly truthful, but it's about Trotsky. And it's actually a, a series uh, so it's it's more entertainment wise. So I mean, of course, conversations he has, but it, it includes like historical. I want to say it's like it's kind of like reading a historical, uh, like fiction novel or whatnot, where like okay. things happen in here, but not necessarily. This is exactly how they happen, but it goes so through about Trotsky's situation. So Trotsky was actually he renamed himself, but he was actually a Jew in Russia, and uh, um, like a lot of what he was saying was actually very popular amongst the people, even over Stalin and somewhat over Lenin. All right. But the problem was, is that Trotsky knew that the Russian people would never back a Jew being the leader of the Soviet Union. That was the end result of the whole situation. But what Trotsky did do is that he did command the Red Army against the uh, the civil war that occurred right after the Romanov's death and uh, the the rise of communism. You know, the revolution happening like there was people there were there was the white army and the red army and the red army wanted like the the communist situation the white army did not want the communist you know like you know the whole communist agenda to happen and it just ended up they were just killing each other at that point so it was chaos instantly after after the uh the attempt like the revolutionary attempt and then the death of the the romanovs but i recommend you watch the show because it's a it's it's incredibly interesting i like a lot of the actors in it. it is in russian you will have to read subtitles of course but it'll enlighten you a lot to like what these guys were thinking at the time because i mean of course trotsky has to deal with stalin and he has to deal with lenin and then they have the clash and it basically it's the clash is like so when we we do get this this uh we establish this communist nation who gets the power who's going to be the one in charge right and so then like that's where it really starts to get like, I mean, it, it does get incredibly intense because they are all fighting for who's going to get the support, who's going to actually be and it end up being the one in power. Because once the one gets decided and they are in power, that's it. Like, they're going to be the ones that everyone looks to no matter what. Like, that's just the way they had had it set up. So I really recommend that. It'll give you a little okay, bit of insight. Serious question. Okay. Serious question. Do you think Anastasia was killed? Yeah. Or do you think that she, or do you think she was not? Because there are lots of rumors I mean, that she was not actually killed. 
I don't know, sir, but Her body I can't wasn't help found. Everybody see else that your was. eyeballs fall out and I will go fight for you. Yeah, no, I know Bartok in the whole Anastasia movie <laughs> is super cute, but I got to say. I'm not talking about Disney. I'm talking, I'm not talking about Disney. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty I'm sure they all I'm talking about died. the legitimate. Maybe not there Rasputin. I don't know if you know anything about Rasputin, but that motherfucker wouldn't die. Like he wouldn't Anastasia. die. Anastasia. That son of a bitch got yes. shot like six times. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, good and job. poisoned one time. Yeah, he just he refused to die. <laughs> but no, there's like four different cases of people claiming to be Anastasia because technically her body wasn't found when yeah, everybody else's true. blood. She wasn't in the same burial. Oh, it's hard for me to believe. I'm not talking about Disney. It's hard for me to believe, but like, I mean, I haven't really looked a whole lot into those theories. So, I mean, I usually just go through timelines when it comes to my research in Russia. And so I don't get a full grasp on it. So I'm definitely not an expert. So, I mean, there might be somebody comments on here and be like, Sean, you're full of shit. That's wrong or whatnot. So, I mean, that's fair. I mean, I would not call myself. I'm sorry. Expert. I segued the conversation again. Did you? I'm sorry. No way. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. It was a, we learned a lot about yeah, we learned my, a lot about my take Russian on Russia. Revolutionary <laughs> slash... Yeah. Ah, oh, damn. I'm sorry. It's I'm like sorry. reading a fucking Mises books. It's like I was here to talk about free trade. Wait, what? <laughs> we got to segue on uh, everything that's wrong with like the whole communist. I do that everything. all the time. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, don't know. I no, it's, it's fun. History is history is man, uh, fascinating. You can learn a ton from it. It's definitely a cool subject. Russia, Russian history is crazy. It is fucking crazy. Those poor, I still, I'll me. always be like, you poor bastards. I was like, to be fair, I don't know, man. If I was living at the time, I'd be like, fucking anything but what we've been through. I don't care. Try it. <laughs> I was like, what is this guy proposing? Fuck it. Let's do that. Like, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, dude, it was like, it, it was really super worse? bad for those people. Like, I just, it's just terrible. So, in that situation, was the monarchy really worse than what ended up happening to them after the Romanovs were. No, at the time at the time they didn't know that like they were just they just didn't like the situation that they were in and then like if you really talk to like i mean i mean if you really talk to like some russian people it's just like well they don't know like what's gonna be the best a lot of people have any ideas but russia's tried a lot of different shit to see like what would work and uh, it doesn't always pan out for the people so well so i mean like yeah you can't blame them for revolutionizing on like multiple multiple times there's been revolutions in russia like it just that's how i don't blame down. them for revolutionizing i blame them for murdering children and it's not the whole russian people i blame that would be fucking stupid but i blame oh, the we actual talk, people we're talking about the state here right? who murdered yeah. them yes the yeah, I like, mean, like whenever communism was established, there were people who had land and that, you know, uh, who owned farms and stuff like that. And of course, the uh, the police came in, they seized all their stuff. They don't own it. And then the fact that they were wealthy now, or doing better off, they were considered enemies of communism. So even that, the like, that was just the way that the war was decided between the white army and the red army. Once the red army had won, we get to establish the law. We're going to come in. We don't care if this was this, that you ought to already own this, that you had created this, that your family had been here for like years and years and years and generations even. And that you guys have been like the uh, plants or crop suppliers of blah, blah, blah. We don't give a shit. This now belongs to the state. And you, because you took part in these capitalist things are now considered an enemy of the state. So we're going to throw you in a fucking gulag. We're going to strip you of all your property and we're going to throw you people- behind bars. So that's what ended up happening to a lot of people. How do people, people who are not in any position of power 
rationalize that. Like I can understand the state rationalizing that because they have something to gain from it. But how do people who are normal civilians, you know, like entitled Americans here who cosplay as communists, how do they rationalize wanting to do that to people? It's like, oh, you have something I don't, so I'm going to take it. I'm not going to get it. The state's going to get it, and you won't have it either. <laughs> how does that make sense? Well, I could get into a couple of reasons why I became a libertarian, Jessica, but <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that there's a, a cultivation of things that, that put people on paths like this where they, they have that kind of mentality where they don't stop and think about uh, things like principles or, or morality behind actions whenever they feel like, especially when they feel like the things that have happened have affected them and harmed them or maybe harmed somebody that they care about that they think that this is the course of the action that, that, that is the best to do at the time. And I feel like you get a lot of that, especially with the two-party system right now. That's why uh, issues change over time. Like, I mean, you can look, historically, the Libertarian Party has been on the right side of like uh, the, the controversial issue of gay marriage. But back in the 90s, man, even the Democrats weren't even on for, for that crap. You know, like they they still argued about it. You know, like even Hillary when it was came out being Obama against that, and that, Biden that, and and Bill Clinton went out against that too, and they were the the front runners for the Democratic Party. And then, like, we get into some spaces where people say, like, "What have libertarians done?" I was just like, "Well, for one, in '71, when the party was established, we were totally fine with people fucking being of same sex and marrying it because they weren't hurt nobody." And then, like. <laughs> You know, like we also didn't even really believe that the state we don't had, have had, should have a say in the people. contract of marriage anyway, that they're the ones that need to step in to, to make, uh, you know, a bond between two people. We think that they could do that individually on their own. They could establish their own contract that they could hold up legally. We don't think that the state necessarily needs to establish that contract either. So it was always those like negative rights at that point. But what you're saying, well, what have we done? I was just like, why don't you give a libertarian a chance, man? Fucking put him in the office and see what we do. I might surprise you. <laughs> yep. I'm just saying. <laughs> Call me. Oh, I've been I saying mean, I, it I... for 10 years. And <laughs> I just I've had that conversation with so many different people over the course of the last 10 years, and it's mind numbing at this point. Yeah. Just hitting your head against the wall. Like that's just kind of how it how it is. I am like kind of jealous of newer libertarians. I am kind of jealous of newer libertarians because like you guys have just party. You guys are all like wide eyed and bushy tailed and you guys want to tell other people about it, which is great. And I love that. And I wish I still felt that way. But me, I'm just like, no. But Jessica, that's why you're here. You're here to be with us newfound libertarians for the reason of we're here because we're coming into the we're coming into this ideology. And because of our um, interest in it, we're going to motivate you to realize that, yes, the liberty movement is growing. People are getting are subscribing to these ideas. I mean, it may not be as quick or as large and as fast as we would want them, but it's still fucking happening. So if, if anything, that that should give you at least some hope. But I can I can only assume that like being on that side for years and years on end and not really you don't really get to see results on paper you know you don't you don't have all those like oh like you know election night whoa somebody won here or won there big liberty win right we're i mean we're working on it right that's why i'm doing the show <laughs> i'm hoping I'm, I'm hoping that gives you motivation or keeps to, you on we have shit 
we have shit that happens at the Capitol, and then certain people in that temper tantrum decide to publicly call themselves libertarians, and that sets us back. And then we have people, I'm not going to say names, but we have people who like to run a very popular liberty-based online hangout spot, let's say hangout spot, who also claim to be libertarian and who are actively sucking Trump's boot. I'm going to say boot. (laughs) So we have people like that that have a bigger platform than normal everyday libertarians. And so that is what outside people are seeing. And that is also frustrating because I don't want to gatekeep and be like, those people aren't libertarians. But I can confidently say that if you're going to go fucking throw a temper tantrum at the castle over at the castle at the Capitol over some fucking Republican or that he could have been a Democrat. I don't care. Republican president who didn't do anything that aligns with our party. You're not a libertarian. I think the important thing to like remember is the actual ideology itself, right? So you, even if it's a political party or whatnot, I mean, like, with Democrats and Republicans, like what happened 20 years ago, uh, more or less candidates today that are running, I mean, it's not the same thing, right? It's an ever-changing thing with them because they change views, perspectives. Principles are not a thing that they really prescribe to because they're just waiting to see what the what, what is the um, the issue that the public currently has now that we can start saying to get elected so that we can do what we want to do behind closed doors while also doing just like very little minuscule things to try to adhese the voters so that they continue to vote for us, right? Just throwing well, breadcrumbs. Basically, yeah. But it's, it keeps getting them fucking elected. So their system is working. Um, and uh, Yeah, because liber- people are stupid. And, and, and I mean, libertarians like, I'm sorry. don't agree. I'm we all it. know that we don't agree on everything 100%, but we do agree that we need to stick to these core principles that as much as possible, even when it comes to controversial things but see, that like we thing. don't agree on. People but we need to try see... our best to stick to these principles. And so most of the time, that's usually what the policies end up I agree. Or but when it comes to getting newer people to recognize us, when these loud, obnoxious people who are very obviously Republicans cosplay as libertarians, normal people who see that are not going to be like, oh, those people are completely fucking insane. I cannot stand them, but let me look into this party that they're claiming to be a part of. It's just, it's not, it doesn't work that way. Like, people aren't going to do that. I like, mean, if, if it, I wasn't yeah. a libertarian and I saw any of those crazy people claiming to be libertarians, I'd be like, ooh. Ooh, yeah, I'll you, stay away. We need to get Nate labeled the enemy, right? With just just using the term libertarian, especially because these people claim to be that, and then it makes uh, libertarians look bad. Well, while like the philosophy is not the same, I've had these arguments before with with some people on like uh, my wife's thread, where I'm just like, I don't think you really understand what a libertarian is. It's like, well, and then they give me their argument, and I'm just like, well, let me show you something that like our actual party had done during COVID. You know, and it was actually had to do with like BLM and, and Spike Cohen going to the, you know, with the BLM 747 and then the Boog Boys, man. And he actually mm-hmm. like, you know, went to these events. And it's like, you sit there and tell me that like the libertarians don't really give a shit about the whole uh, issue with George Floyd and the, and the over the summer and like, uh, you, you know, the, the protest and then the riots that had, ha- that had happened. I mean, I use the term riots because there were riots. 
but like uh yes you, I that you guys as libertarians you don't really give a shit about that and you claim that you're against like the state and you're against the oppression of the state or, or stuff like that and i was just like what the fuck are you talking about like we absolutely are and he's like we well no you're not and then i like had... i literally sh- had to share a picture of spike cohen with blm se- uh, like 747 and he was yep. at a bunch of different rallies and he's like well yeah maybe some of them i was like this is the vice presidential candidate for the libertarian party are you shitting me right now like and like and what the, the, i was like I, and the, and the thing that separates spike cohen from me. a lot of the people is that like he really does support and was behind the issues that come with police brutality okay he was not advocating like or advocating so for any riots or any did. violence like he's been on the right side of like against being locked on on lockdowns and stuff like that i was like this was the representation of our party that you blatantly are ignoring even though i'm presenting you with this evidence right now so people sometimes get these perceived notions of like what a libertarian is in their head and they just want to cling to that shit so like then you start hearing things like I libertarians had... are just republicans who like to smoke weed or they're just fucking uh democrat liberals who happen to like guns and you hear bullshit arguments like that when it comes to like people describing libertarians and it's because they just, tell me they want to cling to that because they want to believe what they racist. are in is the right one is is the better one they're better than you because they don't they don't want to open their mind and and Can figure out what you really are about they just want to they want to to prove that 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 they are right and we're wrong sorry for cutting you off anyway james your turn (laughs) three times i get get heated sometimes i just talk and i apologize i know you were trying to make a point or two jessica i'm I'm so sorry (laughs) it's okay it's james's turn i'm i'm done i don't have i don't even remember what i was gonna say no i was just listening to you guys i mean i i don't I don't have a lot of insight to to party perception or anything. I just I believe that the most impact that you know libertarians can do is on a individual person to person level. I, I I don't really think that you know, online interactions or anything like that is really going to sway people. I honestly think it's going to be person to person. That's been my whole experience. So I don't put a lot of stock into. I mean, yeah, some people don't represent the ideas of liberty very well but i think really if we do it on a personal level i think that's really what counts the most so even though we can we can kind of argue and and you know have some people that are not great representatives online i don't think that matters as much as what we do on a daily basis and make sure people that know that that's what we're about i absolutely agree i'm gonna be honest like online on like individual conversations i've seen people uh, 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 get a little bit more open or, or and understand a little bit from our perspectives from the ideas of liberty whenever we do it and when we try to do it in like in a, a a proper discourse way and peacefully um a lot of times when you engage with people online it's more or less they already have subscribed to their thing i mean i was guilty of it for the longest time i still kind of am guilty and uh, of it even right now I'm trying to be open. I'm trying to listen to people. And then I'm also trying to challenge like with the, the things that they say whenever we get into these disputes. But I mean, it is, I do get more Liberty wins on a personal level. I, I definitely uh, have, uh, have gotten more people on board with the ideas of libertarianism. Whenever I talk to them personally, face to face, whenever I kind of explain where I'm coming from. And I know it's also another important thing to listen to like what their concerns are, why, what they are to like actually listen and then to really talk about it. And I mean, even if you're just getting some seeds planted, I mean, like whether or not you're on the left or the right, there's more or less for the good thing about a libertarian is, is there's more or less going to definitely be something that we agree with somebody on. There is, I mean, 
anybody, we should be able to anybody agree you on ever more talk than we to, disagree on. Anybody you talk to, you're going to find something that you agree with. And I mean, that's a good stepping off point. You know, whenever you find that, that you agree on something, it's a lot easier to understand that, hey, well, we agree on this. You know, then it makes it a little less of a hostile uh, wanting to just reject somebody. But I absolutely agree with James. I feel like that we get a lot more done whenever we we think about the conversations that we have individually with people or, you know, um, I I think uh, that's kind of that's the that's the kind of way it wins. I mean, not everybody's going to look at some Internet argument and be like, well, uh, I was blind and now I figured it out. Right. Because somebody (laughs) was like, you know, arguing with this other person, they were making a lot more sense, you know. That's not always the case. Not everything gets covered. And libertarianism isn't just this one box that like, well, you know, you're this. So then automatically you're a libertarian. You have to check all these specific boxes. Libertarian is very is a very diverse ideology. I mean, we have these core principles that we try our best to just stay in line with, even when it comes to controversial um, uh, debacles or, you know, issues. Uh, and but I mean, we're not all the same. And, and it's fair because, I mean, not anybody's not the same, but we should all recognize that, uh, um, that, that even as individuals, we agree on something and then we need to meet them there and we need to kind of just discuss these things and maybe just get them to think a little bit differently. Like, you don't, you don't, sometimes you don't just convert a libert- uh, somebody to become a libertarian in one conversation. And to be honest, you shouldn't. I mean, you want somebody to really think about things before they're sold on it. I mean... It's it it's just fall it's just pushing them in an echo chamber doesn't doesn't help anybody either. I mean the whole the whole point of this is that it's we're open for a diverse diverse ideas, you know, and that's that's where we that's where we come up with such good solutions for a lot of the issues that we suffer from now to uh, from day to day. Whether it is Libertarian Party candidates or just Libertarians in general, we do we have come up with solutions for it, or or at least directly like pointed out what caused these problems which most people aren't even willing to do they want to say this is an issue and we should like we see this is the problem uh, that has occurred from it doesn't matter what or how but this is and they decide this is how we're going to fix it and this is what we need to do this is what we need to use government to do to fix it and it's like whoa, 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 whoa before you think that this is going to be a simple answer to that especially when it comes to things like economics it's like before you think that that's going to be a simple answer to that Let's talk about like how we uh, we came upon this problem, like how we actually got to it. What caused this problem and why? And then before we just start doing one policy, thinking that it's going to fix the problem. So the you know, this is the problem. This is what we want to do to make the problem better. We should just do it. We should think about what will happen because we we use that as as the solution. What will happen when we do that action as well? And so like we were talking about earlier with like the, the wibbly wobbly economics, <laughs> Uh, doctor who analogy that i had that there are consequences from that and as a libertarian i feel like the the one of the most difficult things is, is that people do paint you in these boxes that they think oh that you're a libertarian but i was like oh no 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 this is a really complex thing the reason i have my uh, my stances on these issues isn't because it's just the one issue we're looking at here i'm i'm i got this whole picture i need to paint for you before you realize why i have my stance on this issue and the hard part is that most of the time people don't even want to ha- hang around to fucking listen to your entire like to to listen to the entire picture. They just hear the one uh, the the one side you have on an issue and they want to paint you in a corner and then they don't want they don't want anything to do with it. So arguments don't work. But individual, um, you know, uh, a little bit more intimate relationships uh, that you have with day to day people that in your life are a lot easier for them to come around on this idea than it is to just 
you know, yell into the internet and hope to God, you know, you, you pluck a fish or two, you know, and, and win them on Liberty. Like, I got into an argument with a friend of mine because he told me that our party is at its core racist because there were no, get this, there were no libertarian representatives during the civil rights marches during the 60s. Even after I explained our party was not legally a party until 1971. So yes, there were no libertarian libertarian officials at the marches because libertarians were not a, a thing in the 60s. He still told me that no, you're wrong. Your party's racist because you weren't there. Me personally, I wasn't even born until 92. So you're right. I wasn't fucking there. But none of our officials were there either because libertarians were not a thing. We were not incorporated in the 60s. So how can how can you argue with people like that? A lot of people would argue that like things like the civil rights. uh, Like, I mean, those those were the events that led up to whenever some like these people did decide that they wanted to create the party to begin with really these issues that it's just like if you promote individual liberty everybody wins so it doesn't matter if like what you do care about um if you like i mean if, if you do care about like these controversial issues uh especially when it comes to like rights of like all these other individuals and stuff like that like if, if but if you look if, if you look back and, and and focus on just individual liberty everybody wins you know because then if, if that's the most important is, is is liberty and freedom of each and every individual, regardless of race, regardless of like the, the groups people want to put them in, then everybody wins. And like, I feel like those are kind of the results that happened after the 60s that like got the people who were like, maybe we need to establish this as a party. But I mean, we weren't there then. So I don't feel like that, that was an it was even an argument. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a silly argument. But it really was. Yeah, against. I was like, that's we're not an argument. I think that, that was just somebody who wanted to just say some shit to you and like, and then they just stuck to their guns on inaccurate and false information. So, well, guys, yeah. I'm going to what I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to wind us down. It's uh, it's getting kind of late and we ended up starting late tonight and I do apologize, but I do appreciate you guys to, uh, you know, uh, spending the time to, to do this podcast. James, thank you so much for your insight. I am not incredibly well-versed on economics, but I know that you have a lot more insight into me and I learned a whole lot this evening. So I really do appreciate that. Hey, thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's always a ton of fun sitting and hanging out, talking long form uh, conversations. So, and I love talking economics. So I'm like, I'm always around. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, well, I segued the conversation. I do that. No, it was an interesting segue. I loved it. It was great. I just hijacked I learned about Russian. I learned about Russian history. Like I'm down right. with it. You just wait for the comments to roll in to somebody tell me I'm wrong before you say you learned anything. Okay. <laughs> just like he's watching these fantasy episodes, <laughs> like these fantasy shows on Netflix. He doesn't know shit. Like shut up. Like don't listen to that weird <laughs> Russian bot who's completely un like not well versed in any of this crap. All right, guys. I'm waiting for someone to yell at me about how I pronounce Anastasia. So well, it's fine. So Russian is Anastasia. <laughs> so Anastasia. you're all pronouncing it wrong. There you go. You're, <laughs> you're all pronouncing it wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, guys, check out James uh James Cooker with his podcast, The Take on Everything. You can find that just about anywhere uh, you know, YouTube uh, and most podcasting platforms. And uh if you're interested in uh Jessica Ashley's work, she uh uh you you make uh you said candles, right? I was like, I've seen you make candles a bunch of other stuff. Melts. So is that is that basically the, the main the main product that you do 
Junka. So stickers, My main cantaloupe. thing is like t-shirts and stickers. And now I just started making, um, oh, I also make tumblers. I just started making candles and wax melts and my house smells amazing. Yeah, my wife's been getting in the ass about that. I was like, give me another week and then we'll, we'll order all this stuff. I got some bills that need to clear through with the paycheck and all that shit. But uh, uh, we'll definitely hit you up on that. But she's on the Essence of the Coven, which they do have a Facebook page. And then what's your Etsy Etsy plug, right? Is it the same Essence thing? of the Coven on Etsy. Essence of the Coven as well on same Etsy. Thing. So hit her up, check out her stuff. I mean, support a, a fellow libertarian or just support somebody who provides you with a good product. So thank you guys so very much. They smell good. A- They're good candles. I, I can't wait to find out <laughs> you uh you guys uh, all have a, a wonderful evening and thank you for tuning in this has been newfound liberty